worship at First Lutheran Church in Minot, North Dakota. The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 17th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. The apostles said to the Lord, Increase your faith. The Lord replied, If you had the faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Who among you would say to your slave, who has just come in from plowing or tending sheep in the field, Come here at once and take your place at the table. Would you not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me, put on your apron, and serve me while I eat and drink. Later you may eat and drink. Do you thank the slave for doing what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were ordered to do, say, We are worthless slaves. We have done only what we ought to have done. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, these past few days have been a little on the wild side for my family, and I know for several of you as well, with Norse Coast Fest being back in action here in town, uh, with tons of other stuff happening too, including um, the Burleymont Marathon and, and other races, just a lot going on. So yesterday, after soccer games were over, we got home, it was already afternoon, and I know as the parent I'm responsible to feed my children, and... The problem was I don't even know when the last time I went to the grocery store was. So I just put a frozen pizza in the oven for a perhaps nutritionally deficient but a super easy meal for my boys. And then we sat down to eat and it happened like it always does. Instead of taking one slice for their plate, they like to start with two. And then as they're eating, they kind of side-eye each other. And even as they're eating one slice, they're taking another one off the tray and piling it onto their plate to claim it so that their brother can't get more than his fair share. Because, apparently, somewhere inside of them is this uh, stomach-half-empty mindset that makes them think they might not get enough unless they take these precautionary steps to procure the pizza they think they'll need. At some point, I always have to say, that's enough eat what you have first. And then as I put away leftovers, I wonder, how do you impart the idea of enough to your kids with regard to pizza and a lot of other things besides? So how do you know when you have enough? Enough food, enough money, enough comfort, stability, or whatever you're striving for, how do you know? Those are hard questions. But the real question we get to ponder today is, how do you know when you have enough faith? Jesus' friends and followers in our gospel reading for today are pretty sure they do not have enough faith. Our passage for today opens with this heartfelt plea as they cry out to Jesus, increase our faith. First, I think we should look at why the apostles are making this request, because... The way our reading is set up for today, it looks like it kind of materializes out of thin air, and that's really not the case. There were four verses before this passage started in chapter 17, which we didn't read, 
And in those verses, Jesus was outlining expectations and practices of a faithful follower. And it may be a short list in this particular chapter, but they're not easy things. The first thing was, woe to you if you cause someone to stumble in their faith journey. It would be better if you were thrown in the sea with a millstone hung around your neck. Kind of a big deal. Second, if someone sins against you, you must forgive them. Not even just once, but seven times a day, every day, if they repent, you forgive. So it's little wonder that the disciples were maybe feeling a little inadequate to the task. No wonder they're looking for a little um, spiritual boost to help them toe the line and get these things done. And so the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith, exclamation point. The reply that Jesus gives then is not especially warm. Instead of granting uncommon strength of faith, instead of healing their doubts, Jesus insists to them that even the smallest amount of faith is enough to do unimaginable things, more powerful than they could imagine. So what they were asking for was not actually what they needed. If they were inquiring about the measure and the metrics of faith, how much and how deep, how strong and how intense, then they're worrying about the wrong thing. They didn't need more faith or a different kind. What they had, even if it felt like the size of a teeny tiny mustard seed, it was enough. They had what they needed. From the apostles' point of view, which maybe isn't unfamiliar to us, we could maybe talk about the economy of faith, how to manage it and distribute it, how to divide it fairly like some cheap frozen pizza. But at the end of the day, there's no such thing as an economy of faith. Faith is not some scarce resource that we need to spend in order to do hard things. We don't need to worry about adding to our own supply of faith or saving it up for a really tough time in our life. That's not how faith works. Rather, faith is a gift. Faith comes from God to us, and we don't need to measure it or account for it. We just need to live as if we have it. So it's not a question of how much. It's a question of how then, how then will we live? Because we have been given faith in a God on a mission to redeem creation and save the world, and because we are called through our baptism to a Christ-like way of life, because the Holy Spirit is leading us into faithful expressions of Christian love in a changing world and giving us what we need to follow, how then are we going to let this faith that we have been given shape and form our living day to day? We know what is expected of us. As those who would claim Jesus as the embodiment of God's will, we've heard the teachings, we've seen the examples. We are to serve God and serve one another for the well-being of our world, our communities, ourselves. We are to build one another up and encourage each other along the way, not causing others to stumble. And we are to be channels of God's grace as people who practice forgiveness 
as regularly and often as needed. We know it is expected, and as a beloved child of God, in relationship with one who provides limitless grace and mercy, we are equipped to meet these expectations, even as we know we will fall short. The next few few verses in our reading today probably complicate our understanding of this teaching rather than simplify it or enlighten us. Frankly, I found these verses very uncomfortable and not in like the constructive discomfort that being confronted with the gospel often brings. Starting in verse 7, Jesus says something like, this is a paraphrase, it's not like any of you would say to your slave who's just come in from plowing or tending sheep in the field, come here at once and take your place at the table. No way, you'd say, I'm hungry, get to work on supper. And verse 9 concludes with a flourish, and you wouldn't say thank you either. I think these are icky Bible verses, especially for us because we know, even though we would rather forget, that the foundations of our nation's wealth were established on the backs of people with black and brown skin as they lived and died working in a cruel system of slavery for the benefit of their oppressors. And what's heartbreaking about the church's role in upholding that institution for so long is that passages like this one from Luke chapter 17 were interpreted and used by Christians for generations to justify great sin and profound injustice within the body of Christ. So if Jesus is referring to an entrenched social system of the day without outright condemning it, then it can be seen as like a tacit approval of slavery. So I think we need to acknowledge those parts of our church's story from time to time, then also be confronted by the ways our church today may still be interpreting scripture to justify continuing injustice within the body of Christ. Living a life that emulates Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is not easy for mere mortals like ourselves. Especially because, as we all prayed earlier today, we keep finding ourselves in bondage to sin and unable to free ourselves. Discipleship is a hard thing. It's a big thing. It's understandable that those first disciples were not at all confident that they had enough faith to reshape their whole lives to fit the mold that Jesus had cast. That more faith would be needed in the face of challenging tasks, that's understandable. We probably feel the same way. But when we do not have confidence in ourselves, can we trust in the God who provides? Isn't that what faith of any size is? It's trust in God and in God's ability to reshape our lives when we certainly can't. And then it's okay to admit that the mission is too big for us and the path of discipleship is too hard for us. But because we are people of faith, we keep on going. Because we have faith in a loving God who is more powerful than any challenge we can encounter. And because we have faith in Jesus who seems to also have faith in us. And we keep going because the Holy Spirit exists and that is enough. My hope for all of us is that we would always recognize that we have enough. 
recognizing that our faith is sufficient because it is trust in God who is and who gives more than enough. In faith, we can shape our lives around the conviction that God who graciously provides our needs and calls us into mission will also give us all we need to heed the call, to live as genuine disciples, and to show the world that love and grace that proceed from true and enduring faith. May it be so. Amen.